0: What's up you guys, Sean Ross at Managing Editor, FightfulMMA.com. Go over there, get all of your MMA news, get your MMA results, you got podcasts, you have interviews. Uh, I spoke to Heather Hardy, Leoto Machida, Darian Caldwell, all head of Pelotor 222. I encourage you to te- check out the Caldwell interview as it is a complete trash fire <laughs> and well worth checking out for that alone. But we've got just tons to talk about. UFC 238 fallout, lots of stuff happened. That show lived up to the hype. We have Bellator 222 to preview, which is also a loaded card. We have uh, Chris Weidman to talk about. We have Justin Bieber to talk about. We've just
2: got a ton to get into. Showdown, Joe, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm on the podcast with you, enjoying it. Just want to make sure that uh, the sun isn't too bright for <laughs> you guys that are tuned in right now. But uh, yeah, what a, there's, what a loaded show, right? This is going to be fantastic.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Let's go ahead and talk about UFC 238. Henry Cejudo, a double champ. He overcame the early adversity of Marlon Marias' leg kicks. And really, I thought Marlon Marais played into the only way that Henry Cejudo could win at that point, hanging out in the pocket and the clinch. It was mind-boggling to me. But Henry Cejudo wins, does so in impressive fashion, and he's the champ champ. What did you think of the performance in, in general?
2: Uh, I thought it was a great performance by Henry. I mean, if we do the math, obviously in that first round, it wasn't trending very well for him. So um, he was getting dominated. You know, Marlon was doing what, he's, what he was supposed to be doing and, and you know, dominating the champion, chipping away at him. You know, it's 25 minutes. It's a five-round fight. Uh, everything looked great. And then something happened. He, and Henry Cejudo comes out in round number two and completely changes everything, begins to turn the tide of the fight, uh, and does a fantastic job. Uh, you know, f- forget about his exterior outside the octagon antics and words and his behavior. It's just the guy's a weirdo in my opinion. But um in the cage he's he's something else. He's done fantastic. I mean looking at his resume, still people won't give him credit, but I understand that. You know, people want to compare him uh to the you know the greatest combat sports athlete of all time, which we'll I'm sure we'll discuss. And um but the guy got the job done man. Did fantastic looked good and and, you know finished off the number one contender. So damn well at a division higher than what he's supposed to be competing at. So So let me tell you where my problems start, Joe. Mm
0: -hmm. Henry Cejudo gets on the microphone and has the balls to call out three guys who have not won fights since 2016, two of which have not fought since 2016, one of which was retired in some sense, one of which has pulled out of two fights. The other one just gets knocked out all the time. He called out uh, Uriah Faber, Dominic Cruz, and uh cody garbrandt this being on the same show that both peter Yan and Aljamain sterling won oh by the way who's the last guy to beat henry cejudo joseph benavidez who's sitting there waiting for a flyweight title shot to call yourself the greatest combat sports athlete and then go out and call out three people who haven't won in three years is just contradictory to so many points. And I've had people say, oh, the money fights. I hate to break it to you guys. And not one of those damn fights bringing in that much money. Especially in this mo- this, this ESPN era. And, and then I follow that up, Joe, and I say, what if Demetrius Johnson wanted the money fight instead of fighting Henry Cejudo? What if he had said, you know what, I don't want to fight Henry Cejudo. This guy that never makes weight. I don't want that. I want to go fight somebody else. Well, there'd be no Henry Cejudo where he is. I am so. And I thought we were done with all this, the super fight chasing. It seemed like we were finally done with it. But it's not super fights. These guys don't win.
2: What the hell's going on here, Joe? I think from the perspective of, of predetermining who he was going to call out after the victory <clears throat> was basically, you know, if, if you're going to get some folks in that division that are going to move the needle ahead of guys like Aljamain Sterling. Those are the three names that most people would know. I don't know as, as, as many people would know who Cordy Garbrandt really is outside of the MMA bubble. Uh, they do know who Uriah Faber is, uh, and I'm sure most of them would know Dominic Cruz only because Cruz was the champ, and you know he's doing commentary uh, for the UFC. So with Cejudo coming out and calling those guys, I see what he's doing. Those are the needle movers uh, or potential needle movers in that division. They're not big names like we would know uh, in other divisions, so I see what he did there, but... The reality is it's not going to happen. I mean, I can't see it happening. I mean, Uriah wins in Sacramento, and he calls out Cejudo. We'll see what happens with that. I doubt he'll get a title shot, but like you said, these these guys aren't winning. They're not competing. I mean, Dominic Cruz with some of his social media stuff, and even Dominic Cruz in uh, the post-fight um, from UFC 238. You know, I don't think there's anybody out there more than me, other than Dominic Cruz's family, that would love to see his ascension back uh, into the top of the rankings. I'd love to see it. Fantastic. I mean, the guy was a great champion. He fought whoever he could fight. You know, the guy, the guy competed at 155 at one point, right? And so did Uriah and half of these guys that have been competing for a long time. But the reality is for a guy like Henry Cejudo, um I, I, again, it, it's just a strange guy, man. He's just a very, very strange individual. And there's other guys in that division that deserve that deserve shots uh both at, at 125 and 135. But calls with the names, right?
0: Uh, one of our commenters says, Dana White claims that Uriah is too old, yet he's co-main eventing Aspen Ladd and Jermaine Durandomy. Well, that's the point. He's co-main eventing Jermaine Durandomy and Aspen Ladd, a fight that probably shouldn't be a main event realistically anyway based on name value. He definitely shouldn't be in another Bantamweight title fight. It shouldn't happen. I don't need it. As far as Henry Sudo moving up to, to featherweight, I mean, sure, if he does well at Bantamweight and beyond just one fight i'm not into the idea of holding up three divisions at once the reason that ufc 238 was so special joe is because almost every single fight on this show mattered it was a seven hour show that felt nowhere near it because of what mattered on the show um i just man that was that was corny to me what he did Joseph Benavidez is sitting there waiting for a title shot. Joseph Benavidez beat Henry Cejudo. Yep. Yep. I I don't. And and honestly, if you all want to see why I want Joseph Benavidez to win a title or get a title shot so much, go back and look at his post-fight interview backstage after he lost to Demetrius Johnson the second time he knew that he was never going to get that shot again because he knew how good Demetrius Johnson was, and he knew that there wasn't probably going to be anybody that came along and beat him. However, there has been. He's got new life. Benavidez versus Cejudo, in my estimation, is the fight to make. Uh, I would also put Peter Jan and Aljamain Sterling on that show.
2: Yeah, yeah, for for 135. Now, has Benavidez committed to competing to 135, or he doesn't care, really?
0: Uh, I'm not sure, but, I mean, Henry Sudo does still have a flyweight title.
2: Correct, yeah. But at what point and, are we looking at, at that flyweight title just being disintegrated? Well, sort of Dana thing?
0: White says it's not, and what I what I assume they're doing is just basically running a tournament unofficially until everybody's gone. So, I mean, until you have that situation, you still have a title to defend there. So I figure, why not? And then uh, whoever's last stand, la- left standing at the end. They get their Bantamweight title shot and we do away
2: with it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's just one of those things where, um, I, I saw a really cool graphic on, uh, on Instagram. I don't know who put it up there, but, uh, if you do the math, there's four champions, uh, or there's four guys holding eight titles. Champ, 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 champ. champ right. Yeah. So uh, it is what it is right now. But, uh, Oh, my goodness. It's, it's an interesting dynamic as to what uh, Sergio Yehuda has done. Let, let's not take away from the accomplishment, but um, I, you got me thinking, Sean. You got me thinking. Is he avoiding Benavides, right?
0: I'll tell you uh, <laughs> something that I enjoyed seeing. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Valentina Shevchenko oh, no. just molly Jessica I. And it's so funny because, you know, you hear her in the pre-fight. She wants to use her wrestlings? I'll use her wrestlings. Okay. Well, she sure did. Yeah. Imagine how demoralizing that had to be to Jessica I, who spent all that time clamoring for that 125 title shot. And, and she got it, and I don't think she got a lick of offense in, Joe. Round two starts. I guess that bulletproof vest uh, should have been traded in for uh, maybe a helmet.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you look at and and I don't know if they watch our podcast or not, but if you notice, they did not show Jessica I uh, after the knockout for a long time uh, until they realized, let's get her up. Uh, they, they showed the highlight a few times, but they didn't show much more after that. I mean, it's, the, the, it's one of those things. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the month of May and June, but this happened at Ryzen. There were three knockouts where you know there were texts and WhatsApp messages going back and forth. Uh, with the broadcast team saying, you know, to the point where I, did someone just die in front of us, right? Like the way she went down and, you know, arms basically spread out like she's in the crucifix position, uh, out cold the way she was. I mean, that that, that was a scary sight to behold. And um, I, I kind of caught some of the, and I, I could care less about social media sometimes and, and some of the stuff that people have to say, but the people that are ripping Jessica I, like the balls that they have to go out there and rip her, on her social media, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, and just giving it to her and then complaining about, um, you know, I'm no longer a fan of Valentina Shevchenko because that high kick wasn't necessary. Uh, you don't do that to somebody. I'm like, what? what, what? It's just the, 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 the larceny and stupidity that I read on social media sometimes makes me laugh. I don't That's why I don't pay attention to it. It makes no sense, but just guy went in there. She promoted a fight, did what she had to do, got knocked out. Looked very, very scary. Thankfully, she was able to get up. Uh, you know, I'm sure she's healing up and getting better right now. But no fault to Jessica or to Valentina Shevchenko, whose game plan was ridiculously awesome. I mean, I, sta- I sat there and watched the fight again, Sean. That that game plan was absolutely majestic. Right from the opening bell, the three, lo- the three uh, shin kicks to the ribs uh, got her thinking more kicks are coming and then bang upstairs. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic. What a great uh, game plan. And people are saying you know, that that Amanda Nunes continues to be the greatest of all time or or the the best woman in in, in, in the rankings. I'm a firm believer, man. Shevchenko has that win over her perhaps too. Here's the way I look at it.
0: She beat the best 115-pound fighter of all time. She is the best 125-pound fighter of all time. She arguably beat the best 135-pound fighter of all time who just beat the best 145-pounder of all time. The MMA math works out in her favor. It looks like it might be Caitlyn Chikagian next. A week ago, I would not have been excited about that. Caitlin Chikagian went out there and was aggressive in her technical striking and had a damn fun fight with Joanne Calderwood. I like that. We also, it, like we mentioned, Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling, both had very good performances. Nothing that, you know, screams, hey, give him a title shot now, but... Very good performances as well as top contenders. And you had Caitlyn Shikagian really stepping up and having what I thought was an exciting fight as well. You have Liz Carmouche emerging as well. Do I think that either one of those beat
2: Chevchenko? No, I don't, but you do have a couple of people waiting in the wings, Joe. I mean, other than Caitlin, I know you mentioned Liz, but I think Caitlin is a tele shot. I mean, um, the fact that it, it was a number two versus a number six fight, right? And yeah. obviously the number one ranked fighter in the division was Jessica I champion takes out the number one contender. You you naturally default to number two who emerged victorious versus number six. Caitlin should move up to number one right now. She deserves a title shot in my opinion.
0: Well, the way, the way we look at it, uh, Karmouche faces Mo- Roxanne, uh, next month. If she wins, Carmouche will have won five of six, including a win over Chikagian. And by the way, back in 2010, she stopped Valentina Shevchenko. And, uh, that Liz's was a good
2: argument. That's a very good argument now for Liz. Yeah. So she gets past uh was she funny, Roxanne, Mataferi?
0: Yes. Also, also Liz has a win over Jessica Andraj, which looks better and better.
2: Yeah, this could be her final hurrah.
0: Yeah. And I yeah. mean, you, you look at that and you're like, damn, man. Liz Carmouche so is beautiful.
2: two defeats six, three potentially defeats five, and three has victories over two, the champ. And another champ. Liz. Yeah. Um, you know what? You convinced me on air. Liz, oh, needs to beat, Liz needs to beat Roxanne Mataferi, and she should get that title shot. You're right. I know the math is wrong when you're looking at number two, but you can make that argument for Liz no problemo.
0: Well, I need your take on Cerrone versus Ferguson. This is something that I was really interested to, to hear your opinion, or not opinion, really your expertise on this fantastic fight. Donald Cerrone won the first round of the fight but he faded. And Tony Ferguson does not fade. That's just who he is. He does not fade. Poured things on in the second round. At the end of the second round, Donald Cerrone gets starched right in the nose after the bell. Donald Cerrone goes to his corner, can't breathe out of his nose, blows his nose. Rookie mistake. He knew it. His eye immediately popped up, or puffed up, and the ref stopped the fight. Dan Mergliata, is over there saying, yeah, he didn't get punched in the eye. He got punched in the nose. Well, but here's the thing. Being punched in the nose is what led to the issue. Now, here's, here's the thing. The fight was stopped there. It's a TKO. A lot of people wonder, does the illegal blow contribute to that? But there's a whole other thing involved, Joe. <laughs> we know as long-time people who have trained MMA, followed MMA. You make that choice to blow your nose. Like, you don't have to do it. You make that choice. I mean, it might not seem like much of a choice, but there are so many factors here. The use of instant replay, Donald Cerrone's choice to blow his nose, the fact that it is very, very, very possible that that illegal punch helped contribute to that situation. Now, I had a lot of people say, oh, it doesn't matter. Donald Cerrone was going downhill. No, we we don't fight fights like that. We don't do that. We fight fights in the cage. We don't do them on paper. We don't do them hypothetically. Otherwise, why don't, why don't you just flip a coin before the thing starts? I want to know your thoughts on the finish, what goes into it, what goes out of it. Man, there's so much here.
2: So in, in terms of how it all went down, first things first, You do the, the doctors and the referee and whomever um, will not make a call based on what may happen in the next round. I mean, just go watch Shogun versus Dan Henderson. One, uh, two, three. And so many different types of fights. You can even look at the main event uh, between Cejudo and Maras. If, if you know, there, there was the opportunity to stop that fight, would you stop it? No. Let them fight. Anything can happen in MMA. We've seen guys take beatings, girls take beatings, and some way, somehow, pull off victories. I mean, um, you, you can go up and down each division. So the way the fight was trending doesn't go into making the decision to stop the fight. What goes into the decision is a couple of things. The, the punch after the bell could have received a warning, a loss of a point. Uh, And of course, there could have also been a disqualification. That's up to the referee to determine that uh, because that rule can be a bit subjective because it's a concussive blow. It's not a low kick. It's not a punch to the body. It's a blow to the head, which is concussive, which could have ramifications in the fight. It went after the belt. The referee can make that call to say, you know what? Taking a point away, uh, warning, taking a point away, disqualification on the spot. It's up to them. Second of all, uh, with Donald Cerrone, or third of all, whatever, with Donald Cerrone um, blowing out his nose or blowing it or exhaling from his nose. Big mistake. He knows that. He realized it afterwards. Uh, the swelling is there to, the swelling and the clot basically prevents air getting into the eye socket. Uh, once you clear that, it's swollen in there. Air gets in there. Boom, you get the puppy eye. Doctor comes in and says, well, now you cannot see out of that right eye. Now you are far more in danger than just having a broken nose. Broken nose, fighters have have fought through that, uh, you know, since the dawn of time. It it happens in a fight. That's what fighting's all about. You take punches to the face. You keep going until, you know, last man or woman standing. Cerrone, in doing that, clears out the passageway. Air gets in there, puffs up. Doctor comes in there and says, you know what? Now you cannot see. Fight is over. Simple.
0: Now, there are a lot of people that they'll be asking. Does Cerrone have a case for, for overturning? Personally, I don't think he does.
2: He, he, he made that decision. Yeah, he doesn't have a case to overturn the fight whatsoever. Um, even if it's, it's he made that decision, there's also the, the natural human element of wanting to breathe better. And yeah. if your nose is clogged up and you've been punched in the head 25, 30, 40, 50 times, you want to be able to you know continue to fight, the natural reaction is to blow your nose. And sometimes if you're not thinking straight, you realize, oh, my God, if I do this, I'm going to be in big trouble. Some guys have the cognizance cognizance to say, you know what? I can't. It's going to suck. i got to fight through it. Don't do it. Some of them are like, man, I can't breathe. And this guy's beating me up. i got to figure this out. Boom. Exhale through the nose. And then you realize, no, no, what did I just do? No, no. And that's why you saw him right away pushing down, pushing down, pushing down, trying to get the air out. You can't. You can't. You need to block it. Right, He can't block and They're not going. They're not allowed to put up cotton up his nose and let him fight, continue fighting. You can't do that. So uh, that's the air. So Donald will not be able to to overturn that, in my opinion. If they decide to run it back, uh, which I don't think they will. Uh, it'd be nice if they did, but I don't think they will.
0: From a pure sport aspect, I I respect what Tony Ferguson did after this a whole lot more than what Henry Cejudo did. Henry Cejudo called out three people who haven't won since 2016. Ferguson says if we need to run this back. I'll run it back. I respect that. Uh, ultimately, you know whose whose decision I think it should be. Tony Ferguson's. That's whose decision I think it should be. Um, he has won twelve fights in a row. He's fifteen and one in the UFC. I count his ultimate fighter fights because they weren't one or two round decisions. They were all finishes. He finished these people. I put credit to that. Eighteen and one under that UFC banner. Cerone, Pettis, Kevin Lee, Rafael dos Anjos, Edson Barboza,
2: Josh Thompson—he beat these guys. All the guys it- that you mentioned, Sean. There was a pic on Instagram of the six of their faces <laughs> after the Tony Ferguson fight, and let me tell you, it was a collage of six human faces battered and bloodied up. All courtesy of Tony Ferguson.
0: He's a special fighter. He's special. And I didn't appreciate him until the period in which he was gone. I didn't appreciate him until after the Kevin Lee fight when we missed him for a year. Then I started to appreciate him. Just, I don't know how you can not appreciate someone with that kind of cardio. It's horrifying. Uh, If I were the UFC and Donald Cerrone does not have a broken orbital, he revealed, I would run back Cerrone and Ferguson on the undercard of Habib. And um, Poirier as an insurance policy for that main event, sort oh, okay. of like we saw with this weight fight. I would run it as an insurance policy, and boy, there you go, ready made. And you, let, let's be honest, Donald Cerrone would fight anyway. <laughs> he would He'd fight right
2: now. He'd fight this, right now. The guy's nuts.
0: This was everything that I wanted in this fight. It was really good. Other uh, wins on that show. Blagoje Ivanov got a win. He had more tools than tied to Ivasa. Eddie Weinland beat the brakes off of Gregory Popov. He needed that win. Darren Stewart defeated Bavon Lewis. Uh, boring. Uh, Cheyenne Yan. Boy, she's raw, but she's got a lot of tools Damn. in the in the tool shed over Angela Hill. Calvin Katar, that is a name to look out for. And Ricard, just drill Ricardo Lamas. Lamas has done at these top levels. He looks perpetually just concerned when he gets hit. But before, uh, out of all those, really, uh, we had the Caitlin Chikagian performance, amazing. Tatiana Suarez performance, dominant, until that last round, and Nina Ansaroff showed me a little something, and we had Alexa Grasso. Now, uh, we'll kind of encapsulate all this, what remains on this show in one, but the Alexa Grasso thing I don't know if it's it's a combination of her putting it together, Kovalkovich falling off. She has not evolved. She admitted her best days are behind her. But uh you also have Tatiana Suarez just looking like she's another looking like she's a contender. But uh what stood out to you outside of these top three fights on this on this show?
2: Uh Qatar. Qatar's a bad man. He is a bad, bad man. Calvin's a bad dude, man. Um, I, I, you know, you, I think you've known me long enough. I can't talk anything negative about Karolina Kovaciewicz. She's one of my faves. Uh, but Grasso, like you said, she's putting it together. Uh, Tatiana Suarez though, kind of, we, sh- we, we saw something in this fight that she will dominate you for 10 minutes, but then what's going to happen after that, that, that final round when you're competing against, you know, you know, not many people consider Nina ansaroff high level talent. At 125 pounds or 115, but she is, she's she's pretty slick, and she was coming back in that fight, uh, and could have emerged victorious. I mean, Tatiana was on her bike. Tatiana was on her bike and taking some shots, but uh, I think Tatiana's wrestling is something else. I mean, I think it's the best in the division, uh, and, and she's going to pose a lot of problems for a lot of people. I guess just it's that extra five minutes that she's got to get that cardio up, and hopefully not get tagged too much, uh, and she can become a champ in this division. I'm very impressed with Nina. I'm not going to kid yourself, but. Uh, of those three there, I think we need to pay attention to Calvin Qatar big time.
0: Yeah, Calvin Qatar is a guy. I would love to see them throw him in there with a Korean zombie with a Yair Rodriguez, somebody that you know is going to have a really exciting fight. I, I, I like that. He looked amazing. there's there's just no other way to put it. He looked outstanding. Uh, I, I really like that. UFC 238 delivered. That was just an outs- uh, a great show. Lived up to the hype, and Joe, it really shows you what happens and how much excitement there can be around a show uh, when there is stakes all over the place. Also, I don't think it hurt that there's been like this major like reshuffling in MMA media, like with the Athletic getting involved. That they picked up a lot of people. Uh, You got like guys like Mark Romandi jumping to ESPN. You got a bunch of people jumping to the Athletic because a bunch of people jumped to the athletic, you have a bunch of people starting with bloody elbow and MMA junkie and MMA fighting. So you had a lot of people who were probably known within the MMA world talking about an MMA card that they normally may have just not talked about.
2: Who did the athletic uh, pick up in total?
0: I know it was like Ben Folks and uh, Chuck Mindenhall. Yeah, a Chuck's, lot of
2: people. Chuck's awesome.
0: Chuck's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, they, they picked up quite a few people. Um, Along the way, and, and hey, that's that's good. That's a good news. I know uh, Chad Dundas, Josh Gross. They picked up Josh Gross, uh, Sean Alshadi. So I mean, they picked up a lot of names that are known, like out there. And then as a result, you have a lot of these places that have to scramble and pick people up, or not necessarily scramble. There are people like Nolan King who got signed by MMA Junkie, and you know he's been breaking news doing this part time for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We saw James Lynch go to the score, so. The athletic and the score. Getting involved in MMA has caused caused just a huge shift. And I think it's good because, quite frankly, there are a lot of good people that have been covering MMA that aren't doing it full-time. And now we're starting to see that shift a little bit. Joe, Justin Bieber challenged Tom Cruise to an MMA fight, specifically a UFC fight. Said he wanted to do it in the octagon, said he wanted Dana White to promote it. Of course, Conor McGregor chimed in and said, hey, I'll promote this. I got to ask you, Joe, what's the probability? And what do you think, what would you set the betting line at?
2: Uh, I would go the probability of the UFC doing it next to zero. The probability of Conor McGregor pulling this off, probably uh, pretty high. He could do it. I mean, he doesn't care, right? Um, But the the betting line on this, obviously, um, you know, I'd have to go with Bieber. Yeah. I don't know what the odds I would take. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a fantastic youth advantage when you talk about Bieber and his potential cardio uh, and Cruz, who's, you know, I think he's shorter than me and I'm not exactly a tall guy. So. uh, Vegas
0: odds have it at minus 200 Bieber, which I think is generous for Cruz. But then again, those odds also had McGregor at a minus 500 over Mark Wahlberg. What? Yeah. The same email I got. And I'm like, McGregor shouldn't be anything besides a minus, like, 5,000. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Justin Bieber is 30, like, what, almost 26 years younger. Uh, Tom Cruise did do a little bit of amateur wrestling in high school, but that was 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Yeah. Hey, good on you, Justin Bieber. You made some headlines. Why, though? What did I miss? I don't know. I, I hey I'm not a big gossip guy. I live in an Neither MMA I. wrestling bubble.
2: Yeah. So I, I'm just when I first saw this, what, what have come out, 48 hours ago? Yeah, about two days ago. Yeah. I'm like, what what is this? Why? What? no? Just everyone's gotta stop.
0: Just go away. Here's the thing, like I'm I'm so plugged into wrestling and MMA and not a lot else. Like <laughs> Ryan Satin, who works for a wrestling website, used to work at TMZ. And he was like, he thought I was just being dramatic when I said, I don't know who the Kardashians are. I've learned since then who they are. But outside of Kim – I didn't know. I knew Kim cause she was married to Kanye West and cause she had appeared on WWE TV a couple of times. That's it. That's it. I, I don't. So to assume, like, I don't know what the hell is going on with Tom
2: Cruise and Justin Bieber. I know Tom Cruise is a nut. Yeah. I that, I, go I ahead. The whole Scientology thing and stuff like that. By the way, those that are watching the, uh, the actual stream right now, it'll freeze for a second, but it comes back on just so you guys know. Um, you know, the Cardassians, if if you don't think that's in my – so we had. there's there's two separate living rooms on my main floor. There's my wife's living room, which is the family living room, and then there's the one for my son and I, where there's, it's all sports, it's all UFC, yeah. it's all MMA, it's all soccer, it's all whatever movies I want to watch. So the majority of the time, my son and I are in that one, and then my wife watches her shows, and let me tell you, man, those that Cardassian – show or whatever it is or whatever shows that they have, it is nonstop in that living room, Sean. I keep walking by the kitchen to grab a coffee or something to bite on or grab drip drink, whatever. And it's just like, Oh my God, what are you watching? But huge following. So I hear about it and see it all the time. And not see it all the time. I'm just kind of like, I gotta go in the other room. I can't deal with this craziness.
0: So in lighter news, Chris Weidman moving to 205. This is something that we we've talked about before. I think it's the right move. The irony being that middleweight's a little more open now, but light heavyweight is crowded now. What are your thoughts on Chris Wybin making the move?
2: I don't care. <laughs> Who cares? What's What's he going to do? We'll see. Good luck. What's the beef here? No beef. Just not a fan. Good Why luck. Have fun. I don't know. Have fun. Go up there and fight with the big boys. And... Go ahead and try and win a title. You're going to eventually try and fight John Jones. Okay,
0: I would like to see that fight. John Jones probably wins that.
2: I think relatively easily.
0: <laughs> well, I guess we do have Bellator 222 to talk about now, guys. I've spoken to Heather Hardy. I've spoken to Lyoto Machida. I've spoken to uh, Darian Caldwell. There's a lot of names on this show on the undercard, the prelims. We do have Heather Hardy. We do have a Gracie, not, not a notable one. But we have Aaron Pico as well. Are you interested in Heather Hardy, Aaron Pico, or the Gracie whose name that Bellator will try to force down your throat over the next week?
2: Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think Nyman Gracie defeats Roy McDonald by a real- not, not, not that Gracie. Oh, Another sorry. Gracie. My bad. My bad. I was just looking at the uh, at the card. Hobson Gracie. Okay, against yeah. Oscar Vera. Uh, yeah. You know what? And it, uh, listen. I've been involved with the sport since November of 1993. I saw the very first UFC live. Uh, and I haven't turned my back on this sport. And I love it. Um, so anytime you put the Gracie name in there, I'm going to be intrigued because they've had such a massive um, impact on my own life and my own training and my own jujitsu days and stuff like that. So yeah, anytime there's a Gracie involved and I, I, I'm going to pay attention now, um, you know, I wish there was more uh, with, with, Cron Gracie, or Cron Gracie, but I digressed. Uh, did you see about that Nate Diaz and Cron Gracie going after uh, Habib Nurmagomedov in the stands? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyways, fight yeah. your fights in the cage. Uh, Diaz brothers. Yeah, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely uh, I'm intrigued to see if he can take out Oscar Vera. Uh, Hobson's a big boy, He's cut cutting down to on 170. Not much, but yeah, we'll see what happens there.
0: This I think is one of the best Bellator cards of all time. You have Pico Hardy and A Gracie on the undercard. You move up to the main card, Patrick Mix, who James Lynch spoke for right before he left, or spoke to right before he left, a minus 105. Ricky Bandeas, a minus 125. That is a very evenly booked card with two guys that Bellator likes. You also have former champion Eduardo Dudu Dantes, a plus 155 against Juan Archuleta, a minus 185. I think this is a couple of real good fights to book on this kind of show that you have with all these big names and all these big titles. To the point to where I'm like, damn, you all. Much like UFC 238, Joe, I look at it and I'm like, man, they could have spread the wealth a little bit here. They yeah. could have taken one or two of these fights and thrown them on a card next week or in two weeks. But what do you think of these these first two fights? Uh, anything pop out to you with Dantes Archuleta, Mix or Bendayas? Uh, I'm
2: leaning towards uh, the, the Dantes Archuleta fight can go either way. I know there's there, it's it's tough to say, but uh Ben Hayes and, and Patrick Mix I'll go with Ricky and one. I, I just want to make note that Rena uh, Rena is competing on this card here she's taking out Lindsey Van Zant and Rena's a superstar uh in Japan so yeah. I'm assuming that's a a short notice fight if I'm not mistaken because there was no mention to us at Ryzen uh that Rena was competing on this Belter card unless I missed it unless I completely missed yeah. it but uh she's she's a star in Japan we'll see what's going to happen uh I know Nakamura just won uh out in Invicta so uh lots of rising stars are moving across the ocean and competing uh in the U.S. of A or in North America uh and again Horiguchi is another one but those first two fights that you mentioned um hey, what do you think of Dantes Archuleta?
0: I think Dantes is going to be one of my I got five on it picks a rare all Bellator I got five on it but yeah. I think that that's that's a fair line Archuleta is really good though but that's Dantes is Hondes has seen a lot of stuff in in his day, so I mean, there aren't. I mean, there are only six fights to pick from, so I got to pick three, and that's going to be one of them. But I, I like that fight. Uh, I would probably thrown that on another show, though. But uh, Dylan Danis is in action. A minus seven twenty-five. Max hum- Humphrey a plus four seventy. Now, uh, Dylan Dennis's
2: <laughs> line has went
0: down significantly, almost like fifty-two percent like a major fall, I mean, it takes one punch to drop a guy that inexperienced in the MMA cage. Now, we have seen that his jujitsu is fantastic, but is it fantastic enough for me to really say, hey, yeah, you know what? He is completely immune to to a right hand to the jaw? Not necessarily, Joe.
2: Do I think he's going to win this? Yeah, I do. But at plus 470 for Max Humphrey? Oh, that's an I got five on it. 100%. 100%. I mean, it's the oldest adage uh, you know, since jiu-jitsu came into the North American mindset. You know, It takes one punch to take a black belt to a brown belt. A second punch to take him from brown to purple. Another one to take him from purple to blue. On and on and on. Five punches, he's a white belt. And the guy that
0: Danis is facing is not accomplished. He was a three and six amateur yeah. and somehow is like three and two as a pro. So, I mean, the guy... He's fought quite a bit. He's been in the cage, but never against anybody that's like uh, overwhelming or or particularly good in that regard. But I, I mean, it's 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 Dylan Danis on the show. You know what they want there? They want him yeah. to be not. I can't even calling him McGregor light would be disrespectful to McGregor. Yeah, but well, he'll try. He will try. Chael Sonnen a plus two forty. Leota Machida a minus. 300. The odds on Chael Sonnen have actually went up 50%, which you know, I think is fair, I guess, but Leo Machida should win this. He has remained active and fought at somewhat of a high level all along. Here's the thing though, Joe, his first fight at 205 pounds in years. I spoke to him about this. He says that it has been a little bit of an adjustment, but it's something that he feels still very natural in doing. I also spoke to him about Antonio Inoki slapping him. I spoke to him about living with Daniel Bryan and Chitsky and Akimura. Go hunt down that interview. It is very good. I love that interview. A guy that I had to jump at the chance to talk to. But you know why this is here? It's for Sonnen to build it up and talk about it. And then Lyoto Machida to do what Lyoto Machida does. And that's yeah. not have great fights. Really. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I look at this fight here. I mean, I think the odds are fine where they are. Only because... You know, when you think about, I mean, my heart will always be with Chael. I mean, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. I absolutely love the guy. I still owe him a mistake, so you know. You, I, you got I'm us in, him
0: for one of our first interviews on Fightful ever.
2: Yeah, he's he's. Uh, I'm in debt to him, and he knows it, and he he reminds me. Uh, but I think the when I talk to people about Chael, the one almost common themes or thread seems to be he just doesn't take it serious anymore. He's just there to get paid and stuff like that. I'm like, well, yeah, you're, you're stepping into a cage. I think he's taking it serious. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those things, who wants it more? And when you look at it on paper, it always looks like Machito wants this fight more uh, than what Chael does. Chael's going to go in there and do what he wants to do, uh, potentially get very, very frustrated, uh, the fact that he can't get close to Machita. But I, I, I hearken back to when Chael fought Shogun. You know, a lot of people were saying the exact same thing. And before you know it, Shogun's tapping on the mat. Chael's choking him out, guillotine, right? So uh, I don't count out Chael for, for anything right now. I, I am leaning towards Lyota pulling off the victory only because when you break down the styles in this fight, I think the Dragon's going to win this, but I wouldn't pus- put it past Chael to shock everyone again.
0: Yeah, I uh, – This is this is a nice fight on paper and on the marquee, but I don't necessarily expect it to be a great fight in general. Uh, I can't say the same for Darian Caldwell and Kyoji Horiguchi. Di- Darian Caldwell a minus 125, Horiguchi a minus uh, 105. The lines have shifted a little bit, but Horiguchi won this the first time around. Caldwell wanted the- it. I guess he wanted it. I don't know. I couldn't get more than like a sentence out of him in our interview. But uh, I'd be more likely to get a headline out of Horiguchi guessing what he said. But this is a very, very, very high-level fight despite the first one. It's it's still two of the best Bantamweights in the world, Joe, competing. And yeah. I'm probably still going Horiguchi here.
2: Well, I called their first fight, and it was a pleasure to call because Horiguchi, anytime you get to call a Horiguchi fight, it is something special. He's great. Uh, yeah, Caldwell, Caldwell had his number. Caldwell was winning those first, I think it was the first two rounds, mm-hmm. and then Horiguchi figured out a way uh, to get the victory. I think it was by submission, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah. Um, but it's in a cage. That's the interesting thing. It is so different. So
0: could Fake that time. be enough to shift things in, in Caldwell's favor? Now, uh, Caldwell has that wrestling background, but as we've seen, Joe, here's the interesting thing to me. The cage has proven in, in many ways these days to be more of a detriment to wrestling. Like you'll see wrestlers drag somebody towards the cage, and I'm thinking, Why? You just help them get up. Now with the ropes, I think that Horiguchi has more of an advantage to get up than Caldwell does to hold him down. Although there, there are some things, I mean like maybe if if is sitting up against the cage, it doesn't quite work that well. But uh, how do you think that will affect things, the, the transition from the ring to the cage as well as from Japan to the States?
2: Well, it's not like Horiguchi hasn't competed in a cage before, right? So he knows how to what to do. And then at the he's same he's done very time, well in a cage. <laughs> he's done damn well in a cage, right? So, the other thing to concern ourselves with is okay, so uh, you, you've already fought him the first time, uh, you merge victorious, and you look at where he's training. He's training an American top team. So, you know, when, when they're training at ATT, you're fighting in a ring, you train in a ring. Uh, you're, you're fighting in a cage, you're training a lot uh, around the fence. So, uh, I think Horiguchi will be more than ready uh, to deal with the cage aspect, uh, the size of the cage, the footwork required the uh, the pressing the panic button when you get too close to Caldwell. Uh, I think what we're going to try to see is Horaguchi do his very very best to use his speed and his footwork to shock and all Caldwell. Caldwell is going to do whatever he can to clinch, control, uh, and, and subdue Horaguchi. And that's the typical fight that we're looking for, you know, on, on the surface level. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going with Horaguchi only because he's he's just a he's special man. He's a fantastic fighter uh, and a great guy as well. I mean, doesn't matter how many fans are around him uh, in Japan, and there's hundreds. He's always smiling, signing autographs, taking pictures, and always has time uh, to have a laugh with me, whether it's Mike Thomas Brown attempting to translate. Uh, but, yeah, I've always got time for Horiguchi and his people.
0: Main event, I-, I love that the title is defended in the tournament. Roy McDonald does that. A minus 150 over Neiman Gracie, a plus 120 in this Bellator Welterweight Grand Prix semifinal bout. Neiman Gracie might be a rare plus 120. I got five on it because of the way that Rory McDonald looked in his last fight and what he said after his last fight. Oh, by the way, I didn't think Rory was going to be at this fight. Considering that like seven, eight weeks after what we saw, that wasn't the Rory McDonald that we know from years ago, but I don't know if the Rory McDonald that we expected to see will ever be quite that. I think Bellator welterweight champion, is about that ceiling at this stage. If he's already feeling that way about being violent towards another man, uh, you can, if if you're Rory, do you just eliminate the ground game here
2: and try to, to win on the feet, Joe? 100%. 100%. Don't get confident. Don't get cocky. Don't, don't play where the man is on fire. You know, we all know that Gracie's game is the ground game, you know, so keep this one standing, go old school, sprawl and brawl, punish him, punish him, punish him. If not, I think Gracie's going to get on top of him and just dominate and start chipping away at him. I mean, people can compare the Rory McDonald-Damian Maya fight uh, as much as they want as an example to break this one here. You know, and, that, and that fight there, what we saw is the fact that Rory McDonald can withstand you know, world-class jiu-jitsu uh, and, and do very, very well. But you know, we've got to do the math here. That was in 2014. Rory McDonald was a different fighter. He went on to beat Tyron Woodley and Tarek Safadine after that, then had those two losses to Lawler and Thompson, comes back, beats Daly uh, and Douglas Lima, and that was it. That Douglas Lima fight, I don't know, man. A Douglas Lima fight, I think Rory won. Or sorry, that, that Douglas won. And then Giger Mousasi comes in and defeats him you know, in two rounds. And then he goes with a draw with John Fitch. So do the math, three of his last six fights has been the Rory McDonald that we all know. So com- using that Damian Maya fight as a comparison, doesn't work for this guy. does not work for this guy. I think Neiman, or, you know, Gracie is going to do whatever he can to close that distance and try to own Rory McDonald into either a TKO or a submission.
0: I will have a live post show for this, guys. Uh, it is too good of a Bellator show to pass up. But let me go ahead and give you guys my Bellator 222. I got five on it picks. The rare plus 120. Uh, these are underdog picks, just betting flyers. Underdog betting flyers. Neiman Gracie, a plus 120. I think because of Roy McDonald's mindset, his inconsistent performance, and the quick turnaround. And Neiman Gracie's hot streak. We can't discount his actual ability there. That's one worth doing. Max Humphrey, a plus 470 against Dylan Dennis We've seen Dylan Danis get cracked. He is not above getting cracked again. That's why I can't rock with minus 725. No thanks, man. Then you have Dudu Dante's a plus 155, one Archuleta up, a minus 185. I think is going to win this. But I think that Dantes has a level of experience that can carry him to victories, even when he's in the the grips of defeat. And I think that that can't necessarily be replicated, uh, having that level of experience. Those are my I got five on it picks. Joe,
2: what did you think of that basketball game last night? Uh... I'm not as emotionally invested in sports results as I used to be. Uh, obviously being, you know, much younger, 10 years ago, maybe five years ago or more, uh, you know, I felt like I lived and breathed on the performances of Toronto teams. Not so much anymore because I realized none of them pay my mortgage and none of them have a, a direct impact on my life other than what am I doing tonight? Am I watching the game? Where am I watching it? Uh, it, it was, you know, the fact that the Raptors had the opportunity, and they still do, but they had the opportunity to close it out, defeat the Warriors, arguably the greatest team of all time. You can make that argument left, right, and center. Um, and to only lose by one. I mean, when in, with was it nine seconds left, Kawhi Leonard gets possession of the ball. My heart started racing. I'm like, this guy makes this throw. He'll go down in, in Toronto sports floor <laughs> forever. They'll have a statue made already. Uh, the pass went outside. It went out to Kyle Lowry. Final shot of the game. Uh, Kyle doesn't even get it close. Would have been great for Kyle to do that. Uh, you can feel the Scotiabank arenas, the air just deflated after that throw didn't, didn't hit. And, you know, Golden State starts celebrating and they kind of move off to the side there or whatever. Uh, now they got to go back to Golden State and do what they already did twice, beat them and try and get that win there. If not, it's going to be game seven, man. Game seven, and it's just, I mean, the city will shut down. The city will shut down here. Mark my words. I mean, uh, I think there was a lot. I mean, I'm trying to find out what the reason. Jimmy is. went. Jimmy went last night. Yeah, man. It's big. It's, it, it is its so big. Uh, I think in, in the 15 years my wife and I have been married, there's only been one other sporting event that she sat with me to watch, uh, and that was in 2006 when Italy won the World Cup in the finals. Yeah. This was the only other time where I know, not just her sitting next to me, but Friends and family and people that I know stopped their day. It was their day was dedicated around watching the Raptors try and win the NBA championship. So
0: I know I've joked a lot about my my bandwagon fandom of the Raptors, but I have a connection to the city of Toronto. I love that city. When I was little, uh, I was seven and eight years old when the Blue Jays went back to back. And when you're a kid, you're like, wow. When I was little, uh, the Blue Jays, I felt they had the coolest looking jerseys. They had the best stadium, the first retractable roof stadium. And ever since I was little, I wanted to go to that stadium. It is an amazing just uh, the way the dominoes fall situation, how I ended up working for somebody who was in Toronto. Oh, and they go to the Sky Dome every year. (laughs) That's just amazing to me. And uh, fortunately, because of some of the great people that I've worked with, they've They've drawn me into the Raptors. I love the city so much that I'm like, man, I kind of want to see the Raptors win. Hey, either way it goes for me, Joe. I love the city of Toronto. I do. I would love to see them win. I am also a giant Kentucky Wildcats fan. That's, that's my thing. Grew up a Bulls fan because Jordan, when you're a kid, that's what happens. We don't have a local team here. If they had a local team in Kentucky, I'd abandon everything. But (laughs) The closest closest we have is the Kentucky Wildcats. And in the 10 years that they have been this just juggernaut under John Calipari, not one of the 30 or 40 players had made it to the NBA Finals until DeMarcus Cousins with the Warriors. So if the Warriors win and DeMarcus Cousins wins, I'm not going to cry. But, man, I would love to see the city of Toronto with a championship because I love that city so much. Pretty wild, man. Hey, guys, yeah. we have an NBA draft podcast, which is essentially just us shit posting during the entire time and making terrible ideas and everything. Uh, it's going to be a spectacle. Be there for it. Uh, but, Joe, what do you got going on this week?
2: Same old same old, man. Lots of soccer stuff going on. Before we came on the air, I had uh, the VP of York 9 FC, who I work with, uh, as well as one of their directors, come to my house. Uh, to drop off a uh, hundred tickets for Father's Day for me to give out uh, to my um, my, my Stovall Soccer Association, so I got to work work on that. Believe it or not, uh, and then same old, same old, regular stuff here. I got some coaching to take care of. Uh, practice tonight, big game on Thursday. By the way, Sean, team is three and zero. We average twenty shots per game, three against, and our average score line over the first three games is six nothing, and we're we're doing pretty good. We have got a big game, big three of the next four games are going to be big ones. Rivals, Sean. Rivals that you were taking on. A
0: couple of uh, quick stories that I kind of forgot to, to mention. Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson, both booked for upcoming uh, fights. Yep. Any interest there?
2: Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Definitely interested. I mean, uh, I'm more concerned with, you know, do you, is Sage Northcutt going to fight again? Should he ever fight again? I My mean, that, God, all, that was yeah. brutal. That was just, I mean, there was a lot of talk. Obviously, when I go to Ryzen, there's going to be a lot of talk about one. Right. And there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of people that have that managers that have fighters in both Ryzen, one mm. UFC. And there was a lot of talk about how, you know, this guy was brought in to kill Sage Northcutt. Uh, and that's, I get that. Whenever you got UFC yeah. fighters coming over uh, as the promoter, Sean, you're either going to want to use that to elevate your promotion or use that to showcase some of the fighters that you have that they can destroy. UFC fighters, and, and we take a look at what happened with, with Eddie Alvarez, and we take a look at what happened with Sage Northcutt. There's some talent out there. In fact, there's a guy at one, maybe two guys at one. That the math is the only the only challenge that Tenshin Nasukawa, uh, you know, who's rising superstar, the guy that fought Mayweather, um, but just is, is he's so frustrated that he can't get any real competition. The only guys that could potentially actually beat him are locked down by one so it's it's been a challenge trying to get this guy some tougher fights and at the same time if you look at the last guy he fought and go look at his highlight reel the kid's a murderer yeah. the guy's a murderer and tension went through him like whatever like can I can you bring me someone else so it's it's an interesting dichotomy about one what they're doing in the market uh, a lot of people aren't fans out there some are there's a lot of problems within one I heard. Uh, but that's, you know, you're, you're getting it from hearsay really. But, um, I, I don't know. Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Johnson. Woo-hoo, let's go. Chris Cyborg
0: says she's going to test the free agent market. You Boy. know what she's going to do. She's going to say, she's going to talk. She should talk to Bellator. She should talk to all these other companies, but she'll probably try to leverage WWE against them too. I can tell you guys that is not likely at least as of a few months ago, WWE was unhappy with Cyborg's team. She showed up at the Performance Center, took pictures outside of it. Uh, Her social media tried to leak a fake story that Ronda Rousey threatened to not re-sign if Cyborg Cyborg signed, and that was just completely untrue. Ronda Rousey, even though she's not wrestling right now, has a three-year contract. Kind of hard to re-sign when you're a year into a three-year contract. And people in the WWE and said that they would not sacrifice the possibility of a relationship with Ronda Rousey, a proven draw and a proven success in the ring for someone who has been tough to deal with and someone who has went about things that way. All things considered, Joe, where do you think Chris Cyborg ends up? And if she does not end up in UFC, do they immediately cancel the 145 pound division?
2: Where will she end up? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what kind of leverage she has anymore, right? She doesn't have much leverage. I think she stays with the UFC, to be honest with you. She's going to have to take a, you know, might have to bite the bullet and take a reduction in pay. Uh, but other than that, I can't see her going anywhere else. I mean, can the WWE work with her, do you think?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. They would. They could find a way. They They'd have a mouthpiece. Honestly, I saw her do a very, very limited amount of pro wrestling training with a girl who wasn't that experienced. And what I saw was pretty promising. Okay. MMA, MMA fighters usually can transition pretty well. They've taken back bumps, quarter rolls, all that type of stuff, and and it's usually a pretty smooth transition. It's more body language and promo stuff, and she ain't gonna be cutting promos in pro wrestling.
2: Well, that's what I'm saying, right? Isn't that huge though? Isn't that part of the whole? Not when you have Paul Heyman standing next to you. Okay, that's true. That's true. What's going on with the bro? I heard Triple H was talking about potentially signing him or wanting him. Well, Triple Triple
0: H. Well, here's the thing. Triple uh, Triple H signed him. They they've got okay. him in there. But I asked him if he would be open to Matt Riddle fighting in the UFC, and he said, "Yeah, but I don't think Matt would be open to it." And that is in line with everything that I said. I, I talked to Matt about. Yeah, Matt is very outspoken about those who have slighted him, especially Dana White, who said, "Where's this dummy going to go and make a hundred thousand dollars a year?" Well, with drug tests. Well, um. He got in a little bit of hot water over some tweets calling Goldberg an absolute trash wrestler because Goldberg oh. is an absolute trash wrestler. But he is one of the best wrestlers in the world, one of the best pro wrestlers in the world. And the thing is, Joe, you never would have expected that five years ago. No. When he was fighting in Titan, you, who looked at him and said, oh, Matt Riddle's going to be a great pro wrestler? I interviewed him for that fight. My first time I ever talked to him, and I just asked him because I was trying to establish myself as a crossover wrestling and MMA reporter. I didn't expect him to have any interest in it, much less him say that and be like, yeah, in fact, I want to do it. I didn't expect that. Meanwhile, a lot of people expected King Mo to be this crossover star. He wasn't. He couldn't do it. Although he did joke that he wants to be a jobber in all elite wrestling and just get super kicked. He says he wants to be the black Brooklyn brawler, which I admired. Oh, wow. Okay. And he could do that if he wanted to. He could probably go in there, take a couple super kicks, get pinned, whatever. You remember the the greatest Canadian athlete, Iron Mike Sharp? I do remember Iron Mike Sharp. He was a fantastic jobber. From Hamilton, Ontario. Yeah. Greatest ever. He was so awesome. Ontario has a rich wrestling history, but yeah. I used Uh, to watch
2: all the time, bro, Maple Leaf Gardens. I used to go all the time. I was 11 years old, maybe 11 or 12 we would take the subway down. I mean, times have changed. We would take the subway down to go watch anything and everything before Hulkamania was Hulkamania. We would go watch, and it didn't matter who was who. I got to meet so many different wrestlers outside of Maple Leaf Gardens at the time. Uh, yeah, I was a huge, huge fan back then.
0: I feel like that's where um, that's where Ring of Honor and New Japan are running in August, the weekend that I'll be there, which I won't be able to go to that show because I'll be uh, at the Blue Jays game at the Sky Dome. But um uh, I'm going to get some content there. I'm going to get August? that. Uh, first weekend of August, I think. Okay. All right. So there will be shows there. Uh, but guys, leave a thumbs up on this. Share this. Obviously, our MMA stuff still grows, all that. So uh, your help sharing the video really goes a long way. Thank you guys so much. Follow me at Sean Ross Sapp. Follow Joe at Showdown Joe. Follow us at Fightful MMA. the
1: Say goodbye